Today we'll do it next week. Um, and it won't be live streamed. Uh, the reason is that they've asked, India is not necessarily closed to Christianity. We met quite a few Christians while we were there. But it is not necessarily friendly to Christianity either. And if, say, some of the Indian government were to see names and places that we went while we were there, um, it could cause problems for the church planners we met and the, and the churches that we support there. And so next week, I, and, and I could do it and, and be very general and not give pictures and names, um, but I don't want to do that. What we saw was so profound that I want to be as, I want you to experience it as close as you can how amazing it was. And so I'm going to be really detailed with it. And so it won't be live streamed at all. So if you want to know what happened in India and who we met and what we experienced there, uh, you'll need to be here next Sunday. Now, An ambassador for Christ is the title of the lesson today. And an ambassador is a representative from one nation to another. They often meet kings and heads of state in place of the leader of the nation they represent. When they do this, they act as the official representative of their home nation. Now, as I understand it, an ambassador typically lives in a foreign land. For instance, the U.S. ambassador to France lives in France. The ambassador has been tasked to further the agenda and goals of the nation he or she represents. The ambassador is both the representative and the messenger of the nation they represent. Now, as disciples of Christ, we are ambassadors for Christ. And there are several parallels between a U.S. ambassador and an ambassador for Christ. As disciples and ambassadors for Christ, we are official representatives for Christ and His kingdom. Everything we do, Colossians says, we do is representing the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we may be the only Jesus some people ever see. God's word teaches us that this world is not our home. Right? We are citizens of a heavenly homeland and we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. That is how uh, Peter says we are to live. We, we have also been given a mission by our king, King Jesus. And that mission is to further his agenda. It is to further his goals and ensuring his priorities become our priorities so that we can do his will on the earth. Being ambassadors for Christ carries with it significant responsibilities. We're going to talk about today. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 is where we're going to start. When you find that, I'm going to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. should be page 884 in your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians 5 and 16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh, even though we have known Christ in the flesh. Yet now we know Him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all these things, the new things, are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The title of the message, of course, is Ambassadors for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. You're great and you're awesome. You're worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, we want to be good ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ in this world. We want to represent him well. We don't want anyone, Father, to to look at us and say, that's why I don't believe in Jesus. 
Father, we want to do what He would have us to do. We want to share His message and we want His agenda to be our agenda. So Lord, today as we look at this passage of Scripture, take it and and work it deep into our hearts and make us faithful and bold ambassadors for Christ that we would share the message of Christ everywhere we go with every opportunity we're given. Help us to understand that the message is one that must be spoken and that we would speak it and that our lives would merely back up what it is that we're saying. Oh God, fill me today with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Help me not to be a hindrance in any way to what you want said or what you want done. Have your way. Glorify yourself. We ask in the mighty name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. This is the main point for the whole message today. Every disciple of Christ is an ambassador for Christ. This is what we see in this passage. In verses 18, 19, and 20, there is a connection. We have been reconciled to God through Christ. And because of that, we have been given a ministry and the message of reconciliation. And that is why we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, as ambassadors for Christ, we must live this out faithfully in the world around us. How do we go about doing that? This passage gives us four ways to faithfully live out being ambassadors for Christ. One is to see people in the light of Christ. Verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one by the flesh. Even though we have known Christ in the flesh, Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Now, before Paul was saved, he was a Pharisee and evaluated the world and the people of the world through the eyes of a Pharisee. As such, he looked down on those who weren't as religious as he was or didn't keep the law as well as he thought he did. He also considered some types of Jews to be so far gone, so far away from God, they could never be brought back and be a part of the kingdom of God. As a Pharisee, he would have also had a a very negative view of non-Jews. In essence, Paul would have been very judgmental in the way he viewed the world around him and the people of the world around him. We see in verse 16 that he even viewed Jesus this way. He evaluated Jesus in, in the light of his being a Pharisee. Now, there are probably two meanings intended by what Paul says. One is that he understood what the Messiah would be like based upon the worldly point of view most Jews had. The way most Jews saw the world and the way they understood the Messiah was the Messiah would come in great power, he would throw off Roman oppressors, and he would set up an earthly kingdom centered in Jerusalem with Jews as the exalted people of the world. Paul's idea of what the Messiah would be like was likely framed By this way before he met Jesus. Since the Messiah was going to come in power and be a military leader, then Jesus certainly could not have been the Messiah. He may have claimed to be the Messiah. He may have even done some Messiah-like miracles. But instead of overthrowing the Romans, he was crucified by them. Now, sure, something happened to his body. Hard to explain. But still, he died in weakness. He did not throw off the Roman oppressors. And he did not set up an earthly kingdom. Therefore, he must not have been the Messiah. At best, he was a good but misunderstood man. That was then. This is now. Post-salvation, Paul could not look at anyone in the same way he did before, especially Jesus. Gone were the, the old eyes that looked at people through the lens of a Jewish 
a Jewish Pharisee. Now he could not look at people and evaluate them in light of their culture or their pedigree or their, their religious activities. Now what mattered when Paul looked at people was Jesus. Did this person know Jesus or did they not know Jesus? This was all that mattered. This is the example we must follow. But more than just the example we, we should follow, this is the example we are expected to follow. Now, I used a, a large... <clears throat> I'm going to choke to death and die in the sermon. Uh, I used a large quote to, to so we could see the context of what I really want to focus on. Do not lie to one another, since you have stripped off the old self with its evil practices, have put on the new self, which is being renewed to true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it. So notice we're talking about the new life, Right? There was the way you were before, but now that you've been born again, you put on a new nature, which is being renewed like Jesus. There's a different way that you're to be. But notice how it says a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and end all. Now, the worldly distinctions, Paul Describes are racial distinctions, cultural distinctions, social or economic distinctions. And what Paul says is, what God's Word says is, those things do not matter. All that matters is Christ. When we evaluate people based upon worldly distinctions, they end up becoming artificial barriers between us and the people we're seeking to reach for Christ. An extreme example of this would be the Hindu caste system that we saw while we were in India. People from different castes do not intermingle at all. In fact, I read a story about a guy who had a heat stroke at a train station in India. And when they brought him a cup of water, he refused it because the cup belonged to someone of a lower caste. And he would rather die than drink water from someone from a lower caste than him. Now, while the caste system is deeply ingrained into Indian culture and Indian thinking, when the Indian people come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the caste systems are broken regularly. It is not unusual to see people from the highest caste and the lowest caste worshiping together, loving one another, because Christ has broken down their artificial barriers. Now, while Americans do not have an official caste system as the Hindus do, the enemy of our souls is always working to build an unofficial one. The caste system that we may face could be upon based upon many different things. It could be based upon skin color, could be based upon nationality, could be based upon primary language spoken, could be based upon whether their status is documented or undocumented immigrants. It could be based upon their political affiliation or or any number of other things. But surely what we can all do is we can look at the world around us and we can see how the enemy is always trying to build these artificial barriers to divide us from one another. The talking heads on TV are constantly warning us about those people. Now, who those people are depends on which talking heads we're watching. But make no mistake, all of them are constantly telling us those people are our enemy. As disciples of Jesus and ambassadors for Christ, we cannot let artificial artificial barriers keep us from people. As disciples of Christ and ambassadors for Christ, we cannot evaluate people based upon the artificial barriers the world seeks to build. 
the takeaway from this verse for us, and really the entire New Testament, as we see in Colossians, is that disciples of Jesus evaluate people different from the rest of the world. Our evaluation is based upon Christ. The Christ is all and in all. In other words, what we do is we evaluate people based upon this. Do they know Jesus or do they not know Jesus? Are they in Christ or are they out of Christ? Do they, are they in Christ or do they need Christ? That, that's all that matters. Everything else is a worldly, probably demonic, artificial barrier seeking to keep us from being able to reach out to those who are different from us. In their new life, there's no distinction. All of the things that the, the world is saying, build up this and avoid them and have nothing to do with those people. It's not from God. As disciples of Christ, we evaluate people in the light of Christ. As disciples of Christ who are ambassadors for Christ, we evaluate people in the light of Christ. Are they in Christ or do they need Christ? Those are the only things that matter. Secondly, we must believe the transforming power of Christ. So we see people in the light of Christ. We believe in the transforming power of Christ. Verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus became sin on our behalf so that in Jesus we might be righteous in God's sight in Christ. Now, either that is true or it's not. Either Jesus became sin so that we could become righteous or he didn't. And if it's true, if Jesus did become sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him, then verse 17 is also true. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Either Jesus can make anyone into an entirely new creation, or he can't. Now, those of us who are disciples of Christ and seeking to be ambassadors for Christ, we must decide if that's true or if it's not. Either Jesus can make anyone into a new creation, or he can't. Now, the enlightened part of us pushes back against the simplicity of that statement. And we want to say, well, it's not quite that simple. And yet it is. The clear testimony of God's word is Jesus can make anyone into an entirely new creation. The Apostle Paul himself is an example of this. Prior to coming to Christ, Paul was a blasphemer. And a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Now, a blasphemer. Paul rejected Jesus as the Messiah, as we've already said. So he did everything he could to oppose and blaspheme the name of Jesus. In Paul's mind, Jesus was a fraud. And so he, he stated that. He lived by that idea of Jesus being a fraud. So keep in mind, when we talk about the Apostle Paul... We're talking about someone who at one point blasphemed the glorious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Not just he took the Lord's name in vain and made it an expletive, but he cursed Jesus as nothing, as a fraud. This is who Paul was. Paul was also a persecutor. Paul's dislike of Jesus was so strong that it made him angry that people thought he was the Messiah. But not angry in the way that he posted on social media that Jesus was a fraud, but angry in a way that he got orders from the Jewish religious council so that he could go throughout the empire, throughout wherever he could find Jews, and he would root out and find people who were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jewish people who were disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he compelled them then to make a decision. Go to jail, renounce Jesus. Die violently, renounce Jesus. He had them arrested. He even had women arrested. Uh, in, according to the book of one of the books, it talks about he even had women arrested, which in our day, when we see a, a detail like that, we wouldn't think much about it. But in, in, in this day, women were not typically held accountable in a situation like that. If the husband converted to Christianity, the wife followed. And so it was seen as if the wife followed, then when the husband was taken in prison, the wife would be let go because she didn't have a choice. She has followed her husband, not Paul. Paul was like, you should have you should have stood up for yourself. I'm taking you as well. He took everybody he could find and he gave them the choice. Go to jail, renounce Christ, die violently, renounce Christ. This is who he was. He didn't just do this in remote places. He went all over. So again, when we talk about the Apostle Paul, we're talking about someone who at points in his life went all over the known world where there were Jews and he made their lives miserable. Like Paul would have been on a terrorist watch list in his day. That's the kind of person he was. And it says he was a, a violent aggressor. So he, he treated people badly. Violently badly. He didn't just say mean things. He did violent things to them. The, the Greek word used for violent aggressor carries with the idea that, that he enjoyed hurting people. Think about that. The Apostle Paul, who wrote the book we're reading and so much of our New Testament, planted so many churches. There was a point in his life where he physically hurt people and enjoyed the pain he caused. He hated Christ. He blasphemed Christ. He persecuted Christ. And he hurted followers. He hurted. He hurt followers of Christ and enjoyed the pain he inflicted. This is the picture of who Paul was before Jesus saved and changed him. What Jesus did for Paul, he can do for anyone, anywhere. You and I do not know anyone or even know of anyone who is so far gone that Jesus does not have the power to save them and change them. To save them, to sanctify them, and turn them into fully devoted disciples of Christ. We saw multiple examples of the raw power of Jesus to save and change in India. Virtually every disciple of Jesus we met in India had been a Hindu before Jesus saved and changed them. And the changes Jesus made in their lives were pretty radical. The economy of India is, is, pretty, is pretty depressed. It is very depressed. And so most things are cheap. The exception to this is land. India has now surpassed China as the most 
uh, as the world, the, uh, the, the nation with the highest population. And one of the biggest hindrances to church planting in India is being able to buy land for a church. Right. So land is there's a lot of people. There's a limited amount of land. It is ridiculously expensive. Yet despite the poverty of the average Indian person. Despite the extreme value of land, we met at least three people who got saved and then donated land for a church to be built. Donated, not sold, donated. Donated, not not sold at a great price, donated. They voluntarily gave up complete ownership of the most valuable asset in the entire country. Because Jesus had so radically changed them. One of the men who donated land had been a Hindu witch doctor before Jesus saved him and changed him. You just can't go to a place like India and meet the believers there and come away not confident that the great God of heaven can change someone's life. As disciples of Christ who are ambassadors for Christ, we must believe in the transforming power of Christ. And if we are not fully convinced of that, one of two things will happen. We will either look at the lives of others and we'll conclude they'll never change. We'll give up on them before we even try to reach them for Christ. And listen, make no mistake, this says more about our view of God than it does about our view of them. This says more about what we believe about Jesus than we do what it says about what we believe about them. We may think that there is just too much to change. And too much that needs to be done in their lives. But that is still a lack of faith in Christ. A lack of faith in His power to transform a person. If we aren't convinced the transforming power of Christ, we will give up on people or we'll seek to be the one to bring the change into their lives. We'll give them a list of, of rules there to follow. Here's the things that you do. Here's the things that you don't do. And and what we're doing is we're giving them this list of outward actions to conform to. And and we're telling them just be more moral, be better, and you're good to go. And they're not. Giving someone a, a list of actions to take and a list of actions to avoid may bring a measure of outward conformity. But it doesn't bring about the new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have come. It doesn't cause someone to be made the Christ is sent on their behalf so that they become the righteousness of God in Christ. They may look different. They may act different. They may talk different. But in their heart, where it's most important, they're not any different at all. Jesus came to do more than give a list of. Man-made rules people are to follow. Jesus came to make people new. To make them entirely new creations. To make them the righteousness of God in Him. As disciples of Christ, who are ambassadors for Christ, we must believe in the transforming power of Christ. Thirdly, we must be dedicated to the agenda of Christ. Right? So see people in the light of Christ, believe in the transforming power of Christ, be dedicated to the agenda of Christ. Notice the flow of thought in verses 18 and 19. Now, all these things are from God. So all the new from verse 17 
That comes from God. So it's not just the person makes changes. It's God does something in them and through them and for them to change them. And it was God who made the change. And it was God who, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So God makes the change. God does the reconciling. God reconciles us to Himself through Jesus. After reconciling us to Himself through Jesus, He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. So that our message then is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them. So when someone is reconciled to God, they are brought back into a relationship with God where there ought to be, and their wrongdoings are not counted against them. And then again we're reminded that we are that what has been committed to us is the, the word of reconciliation. Everything God does to save and transform is done because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Only through the death and the resurrection of Jesus do we have the hope that we have. Jesus' death paid the penalty for our sins. His resurrection proved He was the Son of God. Through the cross of Christ, God brought us back to Himself through the process of reconciliation. Reconciliation, as it's used in the New Testament, means to reestablish a close relationship. We were at odds with God because of our sin against God. God worked through what Jesus did on the cross to bring us back to Himself. Now, this is an important thing. God isn't reconciled to us. We are reconciled to God. Now, this is an important distinction because we are the offending party, not God. God doesn't need to be reconciled to us as though He has done wrong by us. We need to be reconciled to God because we have done wrong by God. We are the ones who have sinned. We are the ones who have rejected Him. We are the ones who have gone astray. So we must be reconciled to God. So we were created to have a, a love-based relationship with God. But Adam and Eve's sin broke all of that. And after Adam and Eve sinned, every person born after them was born with a sinful nature. And a part of what it means they were born with a sinful nature is they were born with a propensity to sin. And so we sin. So even if we weren't guilty because of what Adam and Eve have done, we're guilty all on our own. For all have sinned, fallen short of God's glorious standards. But God wasn't content to have us be so far from Himself. And so He sent Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. Verse 21 says, Jesus took our sin on our behalf so that we could be made righteous through Him. We are reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. When we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are forgiven for all of our sins. Our sins are taken away. They are so completely wiped out, God will never bring them up again. Christ's death for the sins of humanity is the most important event in human history. Our being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus is the greatest need of all humanity. This is why every disciple of Jesus is given the ministry and message of reconciliation. The need is so great that it cannot be accomplished by a select few. Every disciple of Jesus is meant to be an ambassador for Jesus. Every person who has been reconciled to God through Jesus has been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation and called to be an ambassador for Christ. 
so that we can help others be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. If we want to be a part of what God the Father is doing in the world, this is it. If we want to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world, this is it. If we want to be a part of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world, this is it. God the Father is not committed to any political agenda of any political party, of any nation, anywhere in the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is not committed to any political agenda of any political party, of any nation, anywhere in the world. Holy Spirit is not committed to any political agenda of any political party, of any nation, anywhere in the world. Reconciliation of sinners to God through Christ is God's agenda in the world. And it must be ours. Reconciliation of sinners to God through Christ is Christ's agenda in the world. And it must be ours. Reconciliation of sinners... To God through Christ is the Holy Spirit's agenda in the world. And it must be ours. As disciples of Christ who are ambassadors for Christ, we must be committed to the agenda of Christ. This is our calling. And then finally, plead with people to be reconciled to God through Christ. We see people in light of Christ, believe in the transforming power of Christ, dedicated to the agenda of Christ, and then we plead with people. Be reconciled with God through Christ. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Verse 20 is a verse we should all memorize. We should think on often. To let it sink deep into our hearts. And deep into our minds. There are basically two parts. To the message in this passage. There is the message. And then there is the appeal. We As disciples of Christ who are ambassadors for Christ have been given a message to take to the world. It is a message of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the good news of great joy that sins can be forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. It is the message of a crucified and risen Savior who has paid the penalty for our sins and made it possible for all people to have their sins taken away, for them to know God, truly know God, to live with God and have a a hope from God. This really is good news. It is the best news the world has ever known. It's the message that we are to take to those who are burdened and bound in sin. So that's the message. But then there's also the appeal that we're to make. Now, it's important to notice that the appeal is made verbally. The appeal isn't made as we live our lives. The appeal is made through our voices, through our mouths, as for us speaking the message. But not only that, notice the urgency in the way it's worded. For we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The appeal is not to just share the message and leave it there. But to share the message and then plead with people, to beg with people, to be reconciled to God through what Jesus did on the cross. Now, the the language is intentionally strong 
My Bible says we beg you. Other translations say we we plead with you. Some say implore you. The idea in all of those is not of some sort of casual appeal for people to be reconciled to God through Christ, but more like an urgent begging of them to be reconciled to God through Christ before it's too late. I mean, there's an urgency in the begging, in the pleading, in the imploring. But not only that, notice, it's as though God were making the appeal through us. And we are begging them on behalf of Christ. When we plead with people to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, we, we are speaking God's words. We are expressing God's heart. We are sharing Christ's message. We are speaking as ambassadors for Christ. In His stead, we are saying, Christ Himself is calling you. Come, be reconciled to God through Him. Now that, that's, a, I mean, that's, that's big, right? It should be considered a massive thing. Why is there such an urgency to this? Look at verse 10, same chapter. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for the deeds done in the body in accordance for what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the terror of the Lord, some translations say, we persuade people. The message is urgent because judgment is real. Those who are not reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ will face the sure and terrible judgment of God. Only Christ can save them. The only hope they have of being spared from that judgment is being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. As we seek to help people be reconciled to God through Christ, we recognize We speak on behalf of the one who made reconciliation possible. The task cannot be taken lightly. As disciples of Christ who are ambassadors for Christ, we must make a conscious effort to remember who we represent as we plead with people to be reconciled to God. As we seek to live committed to Christ's agenda, we must be passionate in our appeals for them to be reconciled to God through Christ. The price Jesus paid for this reconciliation was just too great for us to take it lightly. What's at stake in the souls of those we're pleading with is far too much for us to take this lightly. We must beg, we must plead, we must implore them to be reconciled to God through Christ. This is part of the reason we've been left here on earth. This is our mission. Jesus left us here to be His missionaries, His ambassadors to a lost and dying world. It is His desire that they would repent, they would believe, and they would be saved. And to make this possible, He has left us here to be His representative, to take His message to those in need. As we go about our daily lives, we represent Jesus to those we encounter. We have been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation 
And as we speak that message, we are speaking the heart and the mind and the want of God for their lives. And we speak in place of Christ as we beg them, implore them, plead with them not to take this lightly, not to ignore this, but be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. Let us be sure we understand the severity of what's at stake. Let us be sure we understand the task that has been entrusted to us. And let us be sure we are taking this responsibility seriously. Let's stand with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. The message of reconciliation is given to those who have been reconciled. In other words, you have to experience what Christ does before you can call on other people to have what Christ offers. So I do want to make sure today that we would all say, I know that Jesus has done this in me. I know that I have been reconciled to God through faith in Christ. I know that I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. I know that I am the righteousness of God in Christ. This is where it has to start. If you're not sure about that, this is an opportunity. We're not in a hurry. We're not going to, nobody's going to beat us to the restaurants. There's no need to rush in this moment. Take the time to be sure. We can all have assurance. Every disciple of Jesus, every person who believes can know the spirit within us will testify we are children of God. And if you do not have that confidence today, seek the Lord and he will give it to you. Do not be in a rush to leave and leave with a wishy-washy sense of confidence and assurance of your salvation. Come to the Lord. Come this morning and cry out to Jesus. Come this morning and and spend time and deal with God as He's dealing with you and ask Him to give you the assurance. Cry out for the Holy Spirit to bear witness to your spirit that you are a child of the Most High God. Everything begins there. If you're not sure, then today, take this time and make it sure. For those who are sure, you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. To you I would ask, are you a faithful ambassador? For the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you convinced of his transforming power? Are you committed to his agenda in the world? Are you pleading with people to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus? I'm going to. Pray in just a second and we'll open the altars up for anyone who wants to come forward from any reason. But I am going to ask if you are here and you do not have assurance of your salvation or you know you're not saved. You come forward this morning. You cry out. You be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. And if you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you come forward and you plead with God to help you to be a faithful ambassador for Christ. Father, we love you today. You're great and you're worthy. Help us, O Lord, to be faithful ambassadors for Christ, that we would do His will, be committed to His agenda in all things. Have your way, O God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.